We are starting this morning, as we start this new year, um, back in the book of Mark, where we were in the first few months of the fall, and this is sort of Mark part two in a series titled, The Struggle is Real. So if you have a copy of the Bible or uh, on your device, open up to Mark chapter six, and we'll get to the scriptures in just a minute, Mark chapter six. I had the opportunity to run into someone uh, recently from our church, a guy uh, who had just gotten back with his wife from a couple weeks in South Africa working with street kids, disadvantaged kids. I think it was a surf camp. Never done anything like that before, and he was just kind of telling me about it. He had just gotten back, and he said, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. You know, those of you who have had these kind of experiences, if you've gone to a different part of the world, perhaps worked with a different, um, you know, disadvantaged people of one kind or another, and he was just sort of processing what it was like to be back here in the United States. And he said, you know, Pastor, I'm just, as I think about it, it's, it's amazing um, what those kids um, don't have, you know. It's amazing as I think about how they live their lives with so very little, especially as I come back here and, you know, re-enter my life back here. And not only did he have that um, observation, but I could tell by the look on his face and the enthusiasm in his voice, although he'd never done something like this before, that it was um, perhaps one of the most meaningful experiences um, that he'd had uh, in a very long time. I also sat down with, um, just this past week, some uh, missionaries or I should say people that have taken the step to go forward to be missionaries. They're leaving, I think, the end of the spring, or this spring next, this year, now 2017. But they'd spent the last couple months really turning their whole lives over, including um, putting their house up for sale in selling their stuff where they raised their kids. They lived in this house for many years. And they were just having a conversation. I was just, how are you? How's it going? They said, you know, it's been a very you know, interesting experience, a challenging experience because we spent the last many months, you know, just emptying our house of, and selling many things that we had, either selling things, giving them away, in some cases even throwing them away. But going through that experience, this guy said to me, he said, was so interesting because I thought about, I had to rethink about um, all some of the struggles that we had actually in buying, the stress that we had in buying many of those things that at the time we thought were so important to us, and as we're giving them away and selling them, I was reminded of how unimportant most of those things were to us as a family and how we probably could have spent that money another way. This title, maybe some of you would get this, uh, you know, the struggle is real, is sort of a mock phrase that people use in our culture that really is supposed to ironically mean perceived struggles, right? Things that we talk about, that we complain about in our lives, right? The surface things that we complain about, often these are the things that we might even really are in a sense either, you know, um, you know uh, 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 consciously or unconsciously, are really the, are, are given as excuses for actually taking real action in our lives, right? And so we, we call this sometimes comically, the struggle is real. But I would say to you and me, the concept in many ways describes a lot of us, Christian people, as it concerns our relationship with God. That's what I want to talk about, as it concerns our relationship with God. I think a lot of us, starting with your pastor at times, we like to complain about our circumstances, right? To complain to God about them, 
complain to ourselves about them, maybe to other people about them. And that takes up a lot of our focus when all the while our patient Heavenly Father is trying to do something. He's trying to engage us, not on the level of our circumstances, not that he doesn't care, but on the level of our hearts. This section in the book of Mark, where we'll be for the next uh, uh, many weeks, couple months, this section is really the, the, um, where Jesus spends some quality time with the disciples. But please, this is not a history lesson. You're supposed to see yourself in the position of the disciples. That's why we're, this is the living word of God, okay? And what he's trying to do here, they're just like everyday people like you and me. Do they have things they'd like to do with their spare time? Yes. Do they have things they'd like to buy with their money? Yes. Do they have desires and challenges and families? They have all those things that you and I have. And what Jesus is trying to do in this very important passage of Scripture is he's trying to invite them into a different kind of experience, a different quality of life, right? It's on the level of the heart. A life where you experience a deeper appreciation of God's love. A life where you experience, in very real ways, the power of God demonstrated in your life. A life where you actually are doing something with your life that brings about a true satisfaction. That's what Jesus is trying to invite these disciples into, and it's really what he's trying to invite us into. But I would say to you, as a pastor in a, uh, of this church for you know, a dozen years and a Christian for many more, most of us um, are not living this life. Right? I'm not saying we're not Christians, but we're not living this life because even as Christians, many of us mature Christians, the truth is we are still, speaking of the struggle of Israel, we're still slaves to our fears. We'll st- we're still slaves to our comforts. We're still slaves to our small ambitions. We've been, and I would say this for many of us, we've been living the wrong way so long, I'm talking about the life of faith, God's inviting us to do something deeper. We've been living the wrong way, even in the church, for so long that we can hardly imagine another way. This series of messages, this passage this morning, is about living another way, about facing the real struggles, which I would say to you are not external, they're internal, but doing those with God's help. So let's look at the first passage, familiar, I could almost summarize it, but we'll read it, Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, 30 to 44. The feeding of the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But, but, circle that word. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I don't know if some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. Most of you probably haven't, but, you know, it's a decent size, not huge lake. But, you know, they're 
Can you imagine all these people? Just, you know, it's almost like a rock star or something, and they're, they're running. And then, you know, this town and that town, and, you know, they're, they're, they're running ahead to, to, to meet them there. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By the time it was late, or by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages, and we to go and are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? That makes sense. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. The first big challenge right, of the heart that I see in my faith, and I hope you see in yours, is the challenge to see people as spiritually lost, right? Whether you're a student in this room, whether you're a, you know, an adolescent in this room, whether you are a mom or a dad, a professional of any kind, is to see people who are as spiritually lost. I just want you to think about it, whether or not you do that, or I do that. Now, he uses this term, uh, many of you have heard it before in the 30 a fourth verse. Jesus landed and he saw the he had compassion on the people, these crowds of people, thousands of people that had run to meet him, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now that's a metaphor, it's an image. And take my word for it, if you would, I wrote the, the, the background um, passages in the, in, the, in the small group guide if you want to look at it in your small group or individually. But let me tell you what sheep without a shepherd means. It's an Old Testament way of saying, and it's used many, many times in the scriptures. So this is no secretive you know, uh, analogy. A sheep without a shepherd is used in the Old Testament to talk about people who have no spiritual leader. That's what it means. They're sheep without a shepherd. The problem here that Jesus addresses, by the way, sometimes this story is so familiar we, 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 we forget what it's about. It's not about hungry people, primarily, right? These people aren't homeless. They're not hungry. If these people were homeless, if they were hungry, if that was their primary need, although that's the miracle, well, he wouldn't have waited till four or five hours to feed them, right? Can you imagine you had a homeless ministry and you come there and there's all these hungry people? Well, uh, I'm going to give you a sermon first, and you know. No, no, they weren't homeless people. They weren't hungry people. All these people, as far as we know, had cupboards full of food in their homes. They didn't come to Jesus initially. They didn't run along the shore because they were hungry. It's because they had a hole in their soul, and they knew that Jesus could fill that hole. That's what they believed. That's why they were there, right? Now, the disciples, let me say this. One uh, commentator said this. Think about the people in your life. Do you see people, people you'll see today, tomorrow, the next day, 
as spiritually lost. This one commentator said, what the Bible means when it says sheep without a shepherd is this. It says it's talking about people who have questions but no answers, who have distress but no relief, anguish of conscience but no deliverance, tears but no consolation, sin but no forgiveness. That's what it means to be a sheep without a shepherd. That's what it means to be spiritually lost. And I think if you were really honest and I was really honest about the people in our lives, they're all over us. Around, they're all around us. The real question this passage is asking us, or one of them, that's why it's so famous and Jesus is, is doing it here in this, with his disciples, is are we unstuck enough in our own preoccupations? I can imagine if I could just have a scroll of all the preoccupations just of the people in this room. Are we unstuck enough in our own preoccupations, our own personal needs, to even be available to look and to think and to be open to really looking beyond the surface to the spiritual needs of the people around us, to even know if the people around us are in distress, that have questions that don't have answers, that have tears but no consolation, that have real guilt but no forgiveness. Are we even paying attention? Right? Do we even see people as spiritually lost? The people in our families, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our classrooms, the people in our offices, in our gyms, in the, you know, wherever we hang out. What's actually happening in this passage, by the way? Every passage has a context. The disciples come back, verse 30, they gathered around Jesus and, watch this, reported to him all they had done and taught. They... You'd have to read the, the whole chapter, but in verse 7 through 12, they go on their feast preaching tour, their first ministry tour. Now, by the way, these guys were not in, you know, they, weren't, they hadn't been Christians for 30 years like me. They hadn't even been Christian for three years. They just met Jesus not long ago, and Jesus says, listen, what I have done, preaching, verse 12, they went out and preached to the people that they should repent. They did, the 12 disciples. They drove out many demons and anointed sick people with oil and healed them. When they come back to the beginning of this passage, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing moment. They're saying, Jesus, let me tell you, we cannot believe what has taken place. It's kind of like my friend who just got back from Africa, right? Wow! We saw people's lives changed. And Jesus says to them, because there's more people coming, verse 18, or verse, I'm sorry, verse 31. There's more people going, so listen, let's take a break. And they probably say, that'd be wonderful because we haven't eaten anything to eat today. Maybe yesterday either. So they get ready to go take a break. They get into a boat and to go to a place. But, but, what happens? They're interrupted by the crowd. And somebody, you know, their, their, their ministry tour is interrupted. And essentially what Jesus is saying to them in this moment is, right? Not that he doesn't care about it, but he says, listen, can you trust me enough to meet your personal needs, right? Can you hang on so that you can take a pause on your own personal needs, real as they are, to be focused on the spiritual needs of other people? Because, guys, listen, you see these multitude of people that are all around us that ran from us? Listen, they're sheep without a shepherd. These are people, although they might have more money than you do, John, James, Peter, Andrew, although they might live in better neighborhoods than you do, let me tell you something about these people. They have questions but no answers. They have tears but no consolation. 
they have um, real uh, guilt, but they have no forgiveness of sin. And can you suspend your personal needs to join me in meeting their spiritual needs? That's the challenge. You know, we've been joking that as we being our staff for the last, I don't know, month or two or three as we've gone through this thing, this, you know, this um, capital campaign, the REACH initiative of the capital campaign, which is a part of it. We've been using this phrase, we're living the dream, right? We're living the dream. That is to say, you know, in, the, in, in church world, in church work, which we are in, you know, this has been, it, there's a lot of challenges, but it's an amazing thing, as I just got done saying. This church is at an amazing inflection point. You guys did a, an amazing job, really exceeded our expectations in many ways. And now we're at this moment to say, wow, what are we going to do? What's next? This is a time of great opportunity. It's like the disciples. They came back and said, you'll never believe what happened. But one of our uh, staff keeps says this to me throughout this process. You know, uh, uh, Rob, he said, listen, the interesting thing is, keep this in mind, the fundraising, relatively speaking, is the easy part. Okay? Relatively speaking, it's the faith raising. That is, getting us as individuals, not just the staff, the congregation, to actually go out into the, the communities where we live and begin to focus on the spiritual needs around us, which is the whole point of the reach. That's the difficult part. Right? The REACH initiative is not primarily about buildings and money. Yeah, that's a means to an end. What the end is about, the purpose is about, is reaching people, yes, in Hyderabad, India, but Penfield, Pittsford, you know, uh, Fairport, Greek, whatever. It's reaching people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They're sheep without a shepherd. Right? They have... They have tears but no consolation. They have questions but no answers. They have guilt but no forgiveness. And they're looking for you and they're looking for me to share with them, right? I had a, it's funny how this happened. It's so easy, my point is, to get distracted. The struggle is real. This is a week before Christmas. My sister calls me up. Now, I, some of you know I have a big family. Uh, that is to say, I'm a, in my siblings, I have five siblings. I have so six of us, I have six step-siblings, 12 of us, okay? Now, some of them live in different parts of the country, so it's only over every so many years that we're all together. This was one of the years, Christmas, all 12 siblings, spouses, kids are together, okay? It's fun, it's great. So it doesn't happen every year. So my sister calls me, you know, a week before Christmas, says, hey, got this great idea, what is it? I think you should invite everyone in the family to the Christmas Eve service, which is a great idea. And as the, you know, great spiritual leader I am, I said, why don't you do that, you know? <laughs> she says, well, I really think it would be better if you did it. I said, you know, well, finally, I hung up and I did it, okay? And, and it was, you know, I had a great conversation with my, my stepsister, and, and I was very, but here's the point. It shouldn't have taken any... Why did I even have that phone call, right? I mean, living that... The, the dream that we're living... That is the dream. It's, in my case, seeing the people around me actually be closer in touch with the message of God's love. That shouldn't take any work, right? But as my one friend said, you know, the fundraising's the easy part. It's the faith-raising 
that's more challenging. So number one, my question to you this morning is, my question to me this morning is, do you see people as spiritually lost? I'm not talking about late night television. So that too, you know, uh, the people in, 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 in far off third parts of the world, that's true. I'm talking about the people you hang out with, the kids you go to school with, the people on your football team and your basketball team students. I'm talking about the people in your neighborhood. I'm talking about, in some cases, your extended family. Do you see them as spiritual sheep without a shepherd? Because if you don't, if you don't see them, if you're so preoccupied with your own personal needs, we're never going to get anything done, right? Number one, we need to see people as spiritualists. Now, here's the heart of the message. Number two, this is what Jesus is leading them into, a different quality of life. We need to be open and willing to tackle impossible problems that naturally we avoid and walk away from. And, I, and this is so true for human beings, but let me tell you, Christians are no different. We are masters at avoiding things we do not want to do that God asks us to do because we think they're too hard, right? And we can be good in church, and we can, we can be genuine Christians like you and me, many of us, but we still work very, very hard to avoid difficult things in our lives. You know, in this passage... Maybe I've even said this before, but you hear preachers give, do this passage and we kind of throw the disciples under the bus a little bit in their panic. But let me say this. When the disciples come to Jesus in verse 35 and they say two times, I think the word late is used in this passage, when they come to him, um, what they're saying is not irrational. Because remember, these were not poor people. I mean, in other words, they didn't, they, food wasn't their primary need. They'd prob all these people lived in the, in, the, in the east and west side of the Sea of Galilee. The, the, the preaching tour that they just went on, they probably even had some of these people. In other words, the, and, 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 and what these disciples are saying is, listen, Jesus, it's been a long, long day. The promise keeper's event is almost over. It's four or five hours. We had an amazing ministry. Jesus is teaching them. We should probably send them home to get something to eat. There's always tomorrow. Just like there was yesterday on our preaching tour. No crisis here. What they're saying is very rational. And when they talk about this thing about money, here's the funny thing. They say, listen. They're just saying, listen. Even if we could scrape together the money, would it make sense for us to spend all that money just so these guys could have a bite to eat? Because they're all going back home and they all have home. And they, they have food. It's very rational. But the, the person who's irrational here, this is very important for you and me to think about, because many of us are complaining to God about the circumstances in our life. We're complaining to ourselves and we're complaining to others. The person who's irrational here is Jesus, in a manner of speaking, in the circumstances, right? But he answered, you give them something to eat. Now he knows, they, not only does he know that they can't do that, if you read the whole passage when they went on their ministry tour, he says to them, take nothing with you, no bread, no bag, no money. Right? I mean, that's how he sent them out. So when they're thinking in the natural terms, you know, I, I, the only, I mean, I'm, they, they don't believe at this point they can just, you know, uh, uh, take, pull bread out of their hat. They, they're assuming he means go and get some food. And they know they don't have any money. The person who's irrational here, right, is actually Jesus. 
But here's a, here's a paraphrase of what the disciples are saying. We don't have it in us to do what it is that you want us to do, right? We don't have it in us to do what it is you want us to do. And I would say to you, maybe you say it differently, that's the word on the lips of the majority or a majority of us. I don't know specifically what God is asking you to do, but many of us are saying, we don't have it in us to do it. But here's the great spiritual lesson. To tackle impossible problems isn't some one-off interesting um, story in the Bible. It is the description of what real faith is, right? If you could do in your own power what it is that God is asking you to do, could be just in your marriage, could be in your, in your business, could be in the integrity of your, it could be in the ministry of this church, the reach initiative. If you could do in your own power, right, just a matter of writing the check or, or going up and showing up or, or throwing the pass, whatever it is, if you could do it in your own power, you wouldn't need faith at all. In other words, tackling impossible problems with God's help, joining him is the description of faith. But I would say to you that most of us are holding on to our loaves, we're holding on to our money, we're holding on to our time, we're holding on to our, 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 our hearts, we're not investing them because we say it's not good enough. It's not going to do the job. When all the time, what faith is, is Jesus saying, listen, I'm not asking you to do something that you're incapable or under-resourced to do, what I'm asking you to do is to offer what you have, right? How many loaves do you have? Go, they're, they're, they're stunned in silence. Go and see. I'm asking you to offer what you have to allow him to accomplish what they could never imagine. Same with you and me. In your personal life, in your marriage, in the ministry that God has called you to, right? In the ministry of this church, whatever the case may be. Are you and I tackling impossible? So th this is the, the, the takeaway of the whole message, right? Back of your bulletin. What impossible challenge is God calling you into, right? What is God asking you to do that you've decided either you're avoiding it, fake struggles, perceived struggles. Let me talk about something else. What is God asking you to raise? What has he been asking you to do, right, that you've been avoiding because you can't? Now, I would say this. My guess is, for the vast majority of us, identifying the struggle, identifying what it is, that's the easy part, right? Many of you, maybe it's reaching out to the lost people we talked about in August. I got a name on a car, but you know, I've never taken any action. Or I know my family's struggling this, or my neighbor this, or my friend this. Or I, I, there's lost, spiritually lost people in my life that I've, God has been, in a sense, moving me toward for years, months. Or maybe it's an issue in your marriage. Maybe it's an issue, you know, I, I talked to this couple, some by person, mostly by email, but not from Browncroft. And uh, they're giving up on their marriage. In, in summarizing a lot, talking to this guy, he, he, he went through a series of things. I'm doing, you know, this is the problem. And I've tried this, and we've tried that, and we did counseling, we did all these things, and it's not working, and it's time to pull the cord. And a lot of what he said made a lot of sense. And I said this, and this is my question for you. 
In this case, both of these people are Christians. After some back and forth, I said, here's my question for you. Have you and your wife, have you sat down, I'm assuming the answer to this is yes, and just, and really put this, taken those two loaves of a marriage, right? Have you just put it before God, and it might seem like it's nothing, and it might seem like it's overwhelmingly under-resourced, but have you taken it to God with some help and really asked God, I'm assuming you've done that. Have you done that? He didn't get back to me, right? That was the end of the conversation. Because most of us naturally avoid and walk away from these things. And what I'm saying to you is, whether it's some issue in my life, whether someone's inviting me to do something, whether it's us getting real about dreaming, living the dream of me seeing some of my own family come to Christ who have not been Christians for many, many years, or seeing large numbers of people in this community come to Christ who aren't in church today, right? Do I, or is that, do I'm willing to, to, to see that, envision that, or do I think, listen, there's no way that's going to happen, you know? So I'm just going to hold on to my loaves because they'll never accomplish anything. I'm going to hold on to my money because it's not going to, what's, what's that going to matter? I'm going to hold on to my time. And yes, thank you for the 20th time you've invited me to join this ministry experience or this opportunity, but I have very little to offer. So here's what we do. We, what we call modesty and humility, I'm not good enough, I don't have very much. Let me tell you what it really is. It's cowardice. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the spiritual lesson here. Last point. Number one, we need to see people as spiritually lost to you. Two, we need to tackle impossible problems. Three, it's about experiencing true satisfaction. You know what's so powerful about this passage? Jesus says, what do you got? They go and find it. He prays. He blesses it. Now watch this. And he takes the loaves and the fishes, the same ones that they gave him, and it says, he gave them back to the disciples. What did he, now, God can do anything, right? He's, he's done a lot of miracles in the scriptures, Jesus. But here's, there's a powerful lesson here, and this is true in your life. He could have just rained down bread from heaven. He could have just rained down money from heaven. He could just rain down answers to the problems in your life from heaven. But very often he doesn't do that because there's, there's, there's no faith exercise there. What he says is, how many loaves do you have? How much money do you have? How much time do you have? Who do you know? Are you willing to, to give me what you have? Go and see and then watch me with you see something amazing happening. And when you and I do that in small and medium and big ways, when we do that as a church, let me tell you something, that's when we understand we're doing what we were made to do and life becomes truly satisfying. Right? That's what he's saying here. I would say to you guys, I believe God wants to do extraordinary things in the life of this church. We are living the dream. 
I believe he wants to do extraordinary things in this sinner's life. I think he wants to do extraordinary things in your life. But it's not about <laughs> raining down bread from heaven. It's not about raining down dollars from heaven. He does extraordinary things when we have the courage to deal with the real struggle, which is the struggle of our hearts, and say, God, I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of bread. But here's what I got, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm ready to receive it back with an assignment to sow it into the lives of other people, right? This is what real faith is. And if we can pivot, if we can appreciate this, if we can, all of us individually do that, let me tell you something. There is nothing more than God wants to do. We sang about it. He's not, he's not against us. Are you kidding me? It's like those of you who have little kids and your kids are always confused. They think that you don't want, you know, whether too much television or too much sugar or whatever. And you're thinking, what you want for your kid is the best. God, the Bible says, Jesus says, what you want for your kid is hate compared to what I want for you. Right? But God does not want to rain down from heaven. He wants us to join him. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray.